Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Okay, Denise McAllister, I appreciate the time. Thank you for that. I am uh, almost completely through the book and I'm enjoying it and I found myself uh, agreeing with you more often than I would with anyone I've listened to recently. So well done. I think we maybe have been reading or watching or schooled in the same train of thought. So maybe just as we get started, you could uh, tell everyone that's listening or watching uh, the rebroadcast who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, um, I'm the author of What Men Want to Say to Women But Can't. It will be out officially on February 11th. It's up for pre-orders right now at Barnes Noble and Amazon. It is a book about the damage that feminism has done to relationships and how in a time when we should be celebrating masculinity and honoring and respecting it, we're denigrating it. And that this is causing great problems in our society and intense divides between people. And this book is an effort to illuminate some of those divisions and explain them and explain some of the things that men want to say, why they want to say it, and why we should listen to them. All right. Now, is this your second book then? This is actually my third book. I wrote a book years ago on the ministry of David Brainerd, and then I most recently wrote, co-authored a book with Dan Bongino, Spygate, The Attempted Sabotage of Donald Trump, and that was a New York Times bestseller. Great. And so... Again, you say you're trying to uh, heal the divide. I've kind of subscribed to the fact that men and women are further apart than they ever have been. I'm not sure that's true now that I've done the research on it. I kind of also bought into the the assumption, let's call it, that um, the political left and right were further apart than we've ever been. I'm not sure that's actually... Uh, you know what, if, to me, I just find that the extremists have the loudest voice, and that seems to be what the moderate middle, the 98% of us that actually overlap with our beliefs, uh, are looking to the left and right and going, would you guys shut the hell up? <laughs> but they seem, to get, they seem to get all the uh, all the airplay or all the uh, media attention or the social media attention. Maybe it's just because everyone's got a, you know, a, a media account now. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I, well, I, I definitely agree that the loudest, obnoxious voices are often heard. But as far as the issue and the conflicts between men and women and the damage that's been done to relationships, I don't think that's an extremist position that's only that's exasperated or inflated by loud mouths on social media. I think it's a real problem in our society. It's seen across all kinds of different metrics, from divorce rates to unhappiness to you know relationship brokenness uh, and all kinds of different things that, that are going on. You know, divorce courts, what happens to men there, um, fatherhood, the lack of um, respect of fatherhood, what we see in, in the media, um, pop culture, uh, in the schooling and in the education system as far as what's taught to people. And I just need a general malaise and unhappiness among men, a higher suicide rate than ever. So, I mean, there are a lot of metrics that show that there is a deep problem in, in relationships among men and women. And this book is an attempt to look at why we have these divisions and what has happened in our culture as far as understanding identity, understanding purpose, the understanding the purpose of men, purpose of women, and the purpose of men and women together. Uh, something that we've lost as a society. And so 
the idea of it's being worse than it's ever been in modern history. Yeah, I, I do think that there is a great divide. But the war between men and women has been going on since the Garden of Eden, the fall. Uh, and it, you know, in some in some societies and in, in history, it's been appalling as women have been oppressed. There have been other times when men have been at war with one another. There's been a brokenness in the relationships in a d- different way. This is just our cycle, and mm. what it looks like, and what it looks like today is this hardcore Marxist kind of understanding of feminism that is all about the struggle of power between group dynamics. And when you have that at the most fundamental relationship between men and women in society, you have a very hostile society and a very broken society. Hmm. So what do you think the conversations are that we're having badly or not having at all? What do you think the, some of the most con- the important conversations that we need to have immediately? I think one of the major conversations that we're not having and we're not allowed to have because of blowback and backlash in the media and in our professions and in school is a right understanding of human identity, sexuality, and individuality and how those three things work together to form a person's identity and the identity construct and how it's formed and understood and how we live according to a certain purpose as designed creatures. And I know that sounds like a mouthful, but it basically we don't really know what we're doing here on this planet. Mm. We don't know what our purpose is. We just think that we can live according to our own little whims that are whatever our flavor of the month or our little imaginations, whatever we desire for our own power. We think that that is our identity, that that is our purpose. And it's very narcissistic. And it's very isolating because it's based on just your own subjective ideas about yourself and about existence. When there are objective realities and a design and purpose that we have in common with each other as human beings, there's a design and purpose for men and masculinity, for women and femininity. And I'm not talking about roles here. People in these conversations, I don't know if you notice in my book, I don't talk about roles. I don't get into, you know, women should be doing this or women should be doing that. My focus is on how are we to be relating to each other Mm. and what is our purpose in our function and our existence here on this planet. And we do not have, and what is our identity? Who are we? Are we whatever we want to be? Am I as a woman, whatever I want to be in my interaction with men and my husband, anything I want it to be? Or is there a design purpose for me and for other women that is that we have a shared objective truth about? Mm. That doesn't mean we're all um, cookie cutter cutouts of each other. I'm an individual. I'm an individual like no other person. So how I apply that in my life is going to be very different from other women. But there are basic fundamental universal truths about masculinity and femininity that we have abandoned. And, And along with that, we have abandoned what it means, what we're here to be doing. And essential to that is respect and love to each other in order to do what is good and right in this world. And you don't hear this kind of conversation because the ethos of the day of the day is I can be whatever I want to be. Right. And I am and I am whoever I I say I am. And not only that, whatever I deem is true for me, you have to accept it. And if you don't, you're violating my rights Mm. and you must be oppressed Mm -hmm. and silenced. Right. You know, I kind of fall on the Dave Rubin uh, side of things, I think. 
because I'm, you know, I grew up a lefty. You know, I was 24 years old in the first election that I ran. I just kind of fell in line. I really didn't have an educated debate. And I was a lot younger then. And as I've gotten older, I don't know if that old adage that they say, you know, if you don't vote when you're with your, if you won't vote left you, when you're younger, you have no heart. If you don't vote yeah. conservative when you're older, you have no brain. Uh, I, right. I, I, I want to believe that I've, I've wisened up a little bit. Um, but this, you know, first of all, don't take my guns and don't tell me what hate speech is. The two fundamental things, not so much here in Canada, but yeah, I mean, my family owns guns. We, and I get the idea that one day you might have to protect yourself from the government. Um, not to mention all the other uses for them. Uh, and you know, more gun laws isn't, isn't going to solve anything, but this idea that biology, science, and then if you want to throw tradition in there too, it's just all thrown out the window. Like you were saying, I could be, I can, I can change sex by the minute if I want. And then in society, we see the impact of men, biological men as a transgender woman, I guess they call it fighting in MMA and beating them in track. And I just, you know, it used to be for me, I thought the left used to stand for freedom of speech and, and all the things that I, uh, were important to me, but right now it seems like the left doesn't want to talk about anything. They just want to say, "No, you're a bigot. You're a racist." You know, for instance, if uh, I got into a conversation with a a, a a politician here in my hometown about the, um, you know, the abortion, uh, the anti-abortionists, they stand on the corners with the graphic pictures in in, in my area, and. Uh, some guy went up and, and, and kicked all their signs down and gave them the hard time, like it was assault. And he's like, more of this. I'm, I, I'm like, more what? Assault and less free speech? I just cannot wrap my head around how they can have it both ways. Well, when you deny objective truth and human nature as designed, you cannot have freedom. You don't have any rights. Because our rights inherently come from our creator, and it's an objective reality. Even if you're not religious and you don't want to believe that line, um, you can be a deist like um, Thomas Jefferson. That at least there's some kind of objective determination of who our nature is. And it's that determination of our nature that endows us with rights such as freedom of speech. But if you deny – so if you, we hear a lot about our rights coming from our creator, our rights coming from outside of society. Um, but if you did those rights, what you don't usually hear is that our nature itself comes from outside of ourselves. And it's because of who we are as designed and objectively designed that we have the rights that we have. We have a society now that has denied, that denies human nature as being objectively designed. Mm. It denies human nature as being a paradigm that is imposed on the will, if you will. Mm. And um, what that means is I, for example, I'm a woman. I have a uterus, whether I like it or not, that makes babies. <laughs> I can sit here and pretend that I don't have a uterus that makes babies, but not, I'm talking about a fully functional human being here, a female. Mm -hmm. um, and, but nature d demands, dictates to me that I make babies. Not that I choose to make babies, but that I have the capacity. That that's what I'm designed for. That's what my body is. And it's, a, it's really funny when people, like the abortion debate, you hear this terminology about 
don't f- force pregnancy on me that oh. that um that the state a state that believes in protecting the child in the womb is there is therefore forcing pregnancy on women no your body is forcing pregnancy on you that you chose to open up by spreading your legs and having sex <laughs> that's that free choice that you made and i'm all for choice i'm pro choice i'm pro choice and i'm pro you can do whatever you want with your body but I'm also pro-human nature. And when your body makes a baby because of your free choices, you don't have the right to violate that human life. That your body is forcing you mm-hmm. to have. Based on your and own so, decisions, yeah. Based on your own decisions and based on human nature. But we, we deny human nature, and therefore we rip it to shreds. We deny it and try to make human nature conform to what we want to be. So women... Are, try, are denying their femininity in all kinds of different ways and the purpose that's tied to that femininity and rewriting it according to their own individual desires and pathologies, I will say, and agendas, and it's ripping the fabric of humanity and the relationships apart. And the, the scary thing is, is if we believe that there is no objective design, no human nature, no objective purpose as human beings and as men and women, and that it's determined by the individual. The scary thing there is that then the individual with the most power can also redefine you. That individuals and groups with power can therefore impose their will on what you should be. That's just human nature as far as group dynamics go. Mm-hmm. So if we're not if we're not defined by God, and we're defined by ourselves, then we're open up to being defined by others. Or whatever. It's just like, yeah. it's just like you know, if we don't get our rights from God and we get it from ourselves and from society, society will determine what your rights are. Correct. Correct. Um, so we don't live isolated. We don't sit here and live in individuals' autonomous little bubbles, unaffected by each other, where I can just do whatever I want to do and be whatever I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in society. So if I'm over here and being a little subjective tyrant and saying my will, my truth is my truth, you need to accept it or at least leave me alone, I'm already starting a war with other subjective entities about what truth is and how to exist in society together. Who's going to win that battle? It's going to be the most powerful, the loudest, the people who can form the group of these Mm -hmm. individuals with some common subjective truths. Mm You will, we become enslaved to man, and you know, we're not free. And therefore, you're not going to have this bleeding that I hear about people. You know, I want my free speech. You know, I have my freedom. I have my rights. Having that conversation in the context of denying the very foundations of your nature, of where those rights come from, is folly. It's foolish. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to get your freedom of speech. Because you have no basis for it. And until this society has a conversation and, and, and a wake-up call to what, where those foundations come from, we will continue to lose them. This is why the whole political fight is, is ridiculous. You know, people say culture doesn't ma- matter. These sexual issues don't matter. Um, you know, I, I put sexuality in there because that, that is part of our identity. It's a very important part of our cultural cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. And if you don't think that sexuality and culture 
what it means to be human, you know, these objective truths, our purpose as individuals matter, that all that matters is political and fighting the political fight for our rights, you are in for a rude awakening. You will lose because you have already lost. Mm. Because you do not understand the pathway and the foundation for the very things you're fighting for politically. That's why Andrew Breitbart said politics are down, is downstream from culture. Mm-hmm. Well, I, wa- I want to add to that. Culture is downstream from relationships. And if you don't understand the fundamental relationships of human beings, first to God and then to each other, and most fundamentally between men and women, you will lose the culture and therefore lose the politics. And the tradition, too. Um, so many conversations, and I totally understand. I, I th- thank you for putting it that way. It's almost I might have to hear it back as far as, you know, when I ask you the conversations that we're not having or having badly and what we need to have, you know, the cross-section of what makes up our identity. I get that. Um, and, I mean, we can beat to death, the you know, how the other side isn't as reasonable as our side. I feel like, I'm, you know, when I was on the left, I felt like I was I was correct. I had the correct opinion. I mean, we're, we're not going out there fighting for ideas that we think are, are silly. But then again, many of us haven't had a really in-depth conversation, educated or not, call it a debate or not. I think Crowder was the one for me when he backed up all the way. And I love how he does this. Okay, let's back up to a a point where we agree. <laughs> I mean, if we can't agree that that after conception is a baby forming inside your belly <laughs> that it's not a baby till it's actually born we we, we have nothing more to say and i'm totally cool with just saying you know what we just we can't talk because you're not reasonable enough to actually um accept facts and biology and i've changed a couple of my opinions i think i have a deeper faith now than i've had recently um and i just wonder though what someone like you, who's clearly passionate, um, clearly intelligent and articulate, beautiful, I might add. Uh, I think <laughs> I saw a part in your book where you're like, man, we can't, we're scared to tell each other, hey, you look great today. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. And I think you. Yeah, one of the things you can't, men can't say to women, you know, hey, you look great. Yeah, you look beautiful. I th- and I'm not sure if you were paraphrasing, but I've, I've said this before, and I'm paraphrasing now. You said something like, there was never a woman that a man didn't gaze upon with desire. Like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> and I put it, the way I put it is, listen. If a man, (laughs) if a man, like, I mean, every single, it doesn't, like, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm obsessed, but I'm 51, I'm way past that. You know, if, if, if you're a man and you're saying that, you know what, the first time you meet someone uh, that's half-ass attracted, that you're not in your head going through what it might be like to be with them, you're a liar. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is part of how human men and women are made. I mean, yeah. men are visual mm-hmm. and they process, you know, relation, their relationship with women visually. Mm. And, um, initially it's a visual up front and center. And, um, and, and it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's natural. <laughs> it's, it's what you do with it. What you act on after that, that, matters mm-hmm. you know that that but as far as like that initial understanding of you know and attraction or or not attraction or whatever it's a physical thing um men are designed that way mm-hmm. and you know so god made eve to bring comfort to man not just spiritually he was but physically it was a physical 
um, need that God made for men and women. And, uh, you know, so a man very much, and he's also very outward in his, in his sexuality. Mm. And so he, he's drawn outwardly and, and powerfully to a women on, on a very physical, and that gives him comfort. That gives him that, that that's how he expresses love is in that by providing outwardly by sexuality outwardly his genitalia are even outward and it's all outward with men and that's beautifully and wonderfully made and we should celebrate it and mm-hmm. not shame and not shame men so again just briefly what do you feel like your underlying commitment is like what is just keeps you and I, i'd really like to talk if you can or you're open to talking about what's going on recently i i I don't, I don't know exactly, but what do you feel like your underlying commitment as a as a woman is like with what you're doing here, writing the books and being active on Twitter and being political, for lack of a better word, I don't know. Um, you know, we don't change anyone's mind by fighting on Twitter or Facebook. Um, no. You know, I think that's something that has to come to you naturally. Like, hey, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take in this diverse opinion. I'm going to weigh it. And, and maybe if you don't even do it consciously, you're like, oh, geez, yeah, how can I have it both ways? How is pro-choice equivalent to pro-life? So I just wonder what you consider your underlying commitment to be to humanity or today, uh, you know, time or what? Well, it's interesting when you when I was talking about identity and there's a whole book, my, I mean, a whole chapter, the last chapter of my book is is called A Crisis of Identity. And in that, I, I unpack what it means, who we are. And when you understand who you are, you understand what you are to do. But if you don't know who you are, you aren't going to know what your purpose is. And if you don't know what your relationship is and how you're designed, you're not going to know what to do. It's just like if you're an architect and you're going and you're looking and you find something, the fir- what is the first thing you do when you find something as an architect? You, what is this and what is its purpose? Mm-hmm. Right? We are in a very strange society that doesn't even think about our purpose. That's just insane, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because that is the very fundamental aspect of existence is purpose. So to answer your question, as a human being, I have the exact same purpose as all other human beings. We all have shared purpose. Are you coming from the Christian standpoint of glorify God, love your neighbor type of thing? Yeah, but I'm going to talk about it more more generally. Okay. I mean, every everything every, I'll have to say, and I say it in my book up front. I am coming from a Christian worldview. Right. I mean, that is my worldview. I found it to be the most reasonable, and everyone's working from some worldview, and, and it, this is the one I find to be objectively cogent and rational and it's a great disclosure so people know where you're coming from even and i appreciate you not preaching and you say that right at the beginning of the book like and this mm-hmm. isn't a sermon and i'm not going to tell you what to do or say how you should live your life but it's important that i disclose up front this is this is what i believe and this is where my beliefs come from right i mean i mean my book doesn't have bible verses and i'm not you know as you found i mean i'm not preaching in this book but i am working from a presupposition right and i'm going to tell you up front what it is and i would appreciate it whenever i discuss with anyone 
I usually, and I'm getting to the habit where I want to know what your presuppositions are before I even engage with you. Mm. Because if you have an entirely and totally fundamentally subjective presupposition where you're just making up your own crap as you go along, I cannot have a reasonable conversation with you. That's like staying away from the people that have the pronouns in their bio. Yeah, yeah. You, I cannot have a well. We cannot have a reasonable. We have no basis of commonality. Uh, I have to somehow reach you another way, and I think the best way to reach those people is through stories, which is why my book is also filled with stories. Right. Um, because just re- talking to you and reason to reason coming and reasoning together is not working because you've rejected reason. Reason. So what, uh, is it a is it a workaround to empathy with the yeah, story? I mean, I, well, I think the the way you reach across the lines to people who have abandoned reason, who have abandoned objectivity, is to connect with them in the realm of their subjectivity through stories mm-hmm. and help through that maybe inspire them and help poke at their conscience to see the objective. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you can deal with people who are lost. That's how Jesus did it. He told stories. The people who weren't, who didn't need the stories, who knew the objective foundations, he spoke to them more polemically. But, you know, with others, you have to tell stories. You have to share with them. And hopefully something clicks with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just my, that's what I think. But back to your question about identity, my purpose is that my purpose as a human being here on this planet is to cultivate it for good, to love my fellow human beings, um, to to spread um, truth, light, you know, <laughs> to be a good human being. I mean, what, what do we say when we say you're a great human being? What do we mean by that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, you're living according to your purpose as far as caring for the planet, caring for each other, all of that. That is something all of us are called to do. That is the purpose of all mm-hmm. of us is to live in community with each other in this world. And so and as, as a woman, I'm going to do that as a woman, in particular with my relationship with my husband, but also have a female, a feminine offering and love to give to society as a female, mm-hmm. um, an encouragement, for example. Um, I think that is very important for me to be an encourager, to be an empower of others as a woman um, in order for them to carry out their purposes as human beings mm-hmm. and to serve, to be a servant, to, to be loving to them. And these are also may seem lofty and idealistic, but they're really when it, the rubber meets the road on a daily basis, if you're thinking these what, this way, life becomes more enriching and more fulfilling then as an individual where i am unlike anyone no one else is like me no one else has my experiences um you share my sexuality you share my humanity but you're not denise McAllister. now what is my purpose as me and i have to find that out in my own journey and for me it has been to be a writer to analyze culture to think deeply about these issues. I've, I've gone to seminary, I've studied, I've worked in journalism for years. You know, I've counseled people and I've been through a lot my own, in my own life and a lot of trauma that has led me to have understanding of a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And so my calling is to look at what's going on in society and try to bring healing there and realization. And sometimes that's hard. That's not, that's not real fun because you have to confront no. people. And you have to tell them the truth. And so I feel like I'm a little bit maybe an Old Testament prophet that way. In that mm. Here is the truth. Here is the, here's what you're missing, society. You're off base as a culture, as a society. You're not living according to your purpose as human beings. You're not living according to your purpose as men and women. 
You're out of kilter with relationships. They're not healthy. You're all about acting like narcissists a lot of the time. It's all about the me, 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 instead of what is my purpose? And my purpose is fundamentally about others. Mm. And I don't mean altruistically, as if I'm a doormat. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about my life is not about me doing whatever I think I should do. That's that's that's, when we become so self-obsessed. That's when we lead to nihilism and depression and suicide is because nothing really matters and no one cares and I'm all alone in this. And, you know, when I used to get like that, when my mother was still alive, God bless her soul, she's been gone almost 10 years now, way too young, but uh, she'd kick me, well, not literally, but give me a, a, a figurative kick in the ass and say, now, uh, get out of here and go do something nice for someone else. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. It's not mm-hmm. about you. This isn't either. your problem. Is and she, I mean, she only came to faith very late in her life, but she was so right. Like, geez, it's the, the more you focus on self, um, the, the more um, nihilistic and depressed and suicidal I think we become. And lonely, because think about it. If you're only focusing on yourself, only the self can inhabit one place at one time. So if everything's about the self, you're lonely. Mm. And we were not created. We're not living as human beings on this planet to be alone. Right. Fact. This is going to sound fuzzy and wuzzy, but (laughs) our purpose here is love. And unfortunately, we live in a society that has corrupted that word. We can't even talk about it. It's funny. Even people who believe it in the Christian community, when you talk about love too much, they'll go, oh, you're being squishy. There's more to life than love. Or if you talk to um, talk to other society, you know, other people who reject the Christian foundation about love, they think it's sexual. We've sexualized love so much. Mm-hmm. Love has become sexualized. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't understand true human love. Agape love. We don't understand that God-given love that we are to show to each other. Or even the friendship love. We don't understand how, as human beings, we're supposed to be constant, in a constant flux. I mean, um, ebb and flowing in our life and in our relationships of moving in love. And, uh, you know, that's so important. And we do it. Men love differently than women individuals have different ways of expressing their love according to their individual gifts and all of us humans should be expressing a commonality of love in the same way but because we have actually turned love into john paul ii has a wonderful saying he says the opposite of love is not hatred it's using i'm on the phone it's using go ahead sorry (laughs) um he he said the opposite of love is not hatred it's using others as a means to an end and that is the essence of our society now. Everyone's about, if you ask someone what, what their purpose is, they first of all think in terms of doing, um, you know, to be whatever I'm, I can be, to be the best of whatever I can be. No, not really, in, in one way, but what does that mean? Your purpose is to be the best human, who you are, who you have been created to be. And you know, as a human, as a human, we're all going to have this, a similar look. And but the beautiful thing is that we're all unique individuals, so we're all going to offer love in a different way, and we should honor that instead of conforming people to the same mold. It's really funny. The left and extreme right meet on the backside of identity by trying to force everyone to conform to their expectations. Mm-hmm. And because the extreme right 
makes their legalism and makes their expectations uh, that are really their own as if it's God's saying, you know, you have to comply. And for example, like, no, you can't have dyed hair. There's no pink hair allowed in our church. You know, you're violating, you're, you're violating your, your calling as a human being. Well, no, no, not really. No. Pink hair has nothing to do with humanity, and pink hair doesn't have anything to do with men and women. Pink hair has to do with whatever that individual's expression is. It has no bearing on their purpose as far as loving other people. Um, and then on the left, it's like, if you don't conform to our ideology and say the right words and speak the right way and, lot, and walk in the same way, then you're violating the code, and you can't be included. So, you know, we don't really understand our purpose and I think you're right on track and, and I would add to that as well as not only be the best person that you can be uh, but and, and I know that this is kind of underlying what uh, supporting this whole idea that it's across time and for the greatest amount of people like your immediate community and beyond so that you're actually not just enriching your own life, but making the whole world a better place type of thing. And, you know, we've lost that to such a degree. I'm not sure exactly. I mean, we, I don't know if, if racism and hate of the stranger is kind of inherent since we came from caves and when we bumped up against another colored tribe or a tribe that spoke a different language, we didn't have them over for dinner and sex. We, we annihilated them. And we, we killed all the men, and, and even as chimps, we kidnapped their women and brought them back to have babies with. So I'm, I think there is a little it's bit self of that. It, I'm sorry, it's self-worship. That's what that is. That's what you see. You know, when, you, when the hatred be, between is – you want to see everyone looking exactly like ourselves. Mm. So um, the hatred of people who are different or even individual or even in the uh, same home. So, it, you know, it can be within a family of sure. hatred of someone who's different is ultimately putting yourself up as the standard of what should be. Mm. And so, you know, you put it yourself up for, as the standard and everyone must com comply to your standard. Mm -hmm. And if they, if they don't, then they're out and they're the enemy. If they do and they form your little group dynamic, someone's living inauthentically there because they're complying to your will that will break down eventually. So that's how you see, that's the warring you see is self-worship. And, you know, the people, the purpose is, is that you are not the center. Your purpose is you are not, it's not all about you. It's not about you just being whatever you want to be or the best you want to be. We ultimately live in relationship to others. Mm. And first and foremost, our relationship to our creator, because without knowing how we're created and our purpose as designed, we're lost. And then we have to understand how to relate to ourselves in light of that, not in worship, but in realizing how to express that in relationship with to other people, other people are not means to your end, to your own glorification. Other mm -hmm. people are the end itself. The end is to be in love, show love in love and to be loved in relationship to others. That mm -hmm. is your purpose. And if you're only concerned about doing and accomplishing and, you know, whatever it is that you're doing and it's out of touch with relating to others in love, according to their design by God, not by who people want to make themselves out to be, or according to how they fit into your group dynamics, you're mm. self-worshipping. Right. And it will ultimately lead to loneliness. 
And we see a lot of that today. I wonder, do you think, I've thought that after 9-11, I mean, that hit the whole world, but I guess Western civilization more. Um, And I thought, you know what, this is it. People are going to go back to their churches, to their families, to their gardens, to their home-cooked meals, and life will never be the same. I think, yeah, there was a shift. Certainly in the States, you saw a a reordering of a lot of the liberties that were guaranteed to you not so much anymore but you think it and i joke but only half joke that it's almost going to take an ex existential crisis maybe you know if you believe in another world or aliens or a foreign invader or something for us to all come together and get that you know what i'm you you are me I'm Trump as much as you are. And, you know, Madonna standing at the Women's March saying, I think, you know, they don't get the hypocrisy. You're just giving it right back to him like he's a master troll. I think he does it just for reaction. And he's got the media (laughs) manipulated completely. But do you think there's a chance that we can get back to a point where we're like, it doesn't matter what language you speak, what what God you worship or, or what color your skin is. We're all more the same than we are different. Yes, but we won't understand that unless we understand that the God who made us is one. Mm. And I'm sorry, I know that doesn't sound very cooperative, (laughs) but, um, you know, everyone believing their own thing, again, comes back to division Mm. and their own foundations. I mean, there is truth. You either believe it or you don't. And so it's a matter, you know, what is that truth? What is that objective truth? And finding that. But we're, we're in a society that's not even looking for it. That's that's where I would say the difference is between this society and other societies in the past. Because people are like, oh, there's been conflicts before. And of course, we've had, we have an entire human history of conflict. One of the differences, though, in this modern society that's really strange and bizarre, um, and you've seen it on micro levels in different societies, is this complete abandonment of objective truth. Mm. And... That undermine objective truth regarding presuppositions, suppositions, logic, all that kind of stuff. But also, like I said, about nature, about human nature Science, and human yeah. identity. Mm-hmm. There, it, everything's subjective. We live under the tyranny of subjectivism. Mm. That is a frightening path because that leads to tyranny in every way. It leads to isolation. It leads to warring. Um, it leads to very lonely lives and hostility. And the only the only way that it's going to change is for people to be woken up to the fact that they're not little gods. Right. They're not little gods. You're not a little god making your own little subjective ideas. Mm-hmm. The truth. This whole idea of my truth, your truth, his truth, the purple man's truth, everybody's truth, billions of truths is bull. It only leads to war, hatred, isolation, and conflict. Mm-hmm. We can only have cohesion and relationships when we have a common thread that binds us all. If there is no objective common thread of binding, how can we have cooperation? Mm-hmm. And we have a sense of, of what, what it will take to get us back there by all this obsession with um, apocalyptic movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that as our society becomes more isolated and subjective, our entertainment becomes more violent and more isolated and more apocalyptic because we're 
at a very core spiritual level sensing something. Hmm. We're sensing that life is going to have to break down and, and it, it's born of fear. It's born of all kinds of different things, but we have a sense of it that all of our crutches are going to be stripped away and we're going to be forced to look in the mirror at ourselves and, um, and decide what it means to be human. I mean, walking dead is actually a very good analogy of what happens to humanity. What do you need? What are you going to decide? Who, who, who are you going to be? You're going to be the walking dead. You're going to be a live human being that understands relationships and cooperation. Because yeah. you know, the walking dead and the walking dead are really the, the, the humans, not the zombies. Right. That's the, that's the fear is becoming the walking dead. And we as a society are becoming the walking dead um, because we don't understand what it means to be human. Yeah, and in the same vein of this idea of abandoning long-standing traditions i mean and as part of it's an evolution as a species i suppose you know like uh, the industrial age took the man out of the field and put him i think i heard you quote robert bly in your book didn't you yes a, a gathering of men is one of the most amazing documentaries if you want to call it that that i i could i just for such an old eccentric white-haired old man he's just the wisdom was unbelievable and you know in my deep dive to try and figure this out and try and be my own you know part of the solution i mean i did a little radio gig there for a little while it featured politics basically and me talking to authors like you and then having local music play the the bumpers in and out and then i went on this deep dive and that you know, Jordan Peterson was a huge part of that, just his his mm -hmm. university lectures. And now I'm in a place, I talked to Zuby a couple months ago. He, he's the, the guy that did the transgender deadlift and a joke. And, you know, he's internet famous now, but he's a good man. He's Christian. He doesn't, he raps and doesn't swear. He's just a, like, I like Zuby a lot. And now I've come to this point of maybe not acceptance, but, you know, it's like trying you know, a jacket on in the mirror. You look at it. If it looks good, you buy it. If you don't, you put it back on the rack. Not everything fits. But I'm left with right now, and let me just ask this as a question to you, is fatherlessness our significant modern social failure? Like, it, this to me is the underlying foundation that's been ripped out and you could call it god or traditionalism or you know the nuclear family or what have you but i mean kids are growing up without mentors without um uh the veterans what are you, the elders as the natives would call them to pass down and this normally is not your father you get eldership from the uncles and the other men in your father's life usually because nobody wants to listen to their parents but this yeah, is traditionally came from the dad yeah, yeah, did. yeah. Fathers As, used to have great men of power. Mm -hmm. yeah, especially standing beside him in the field, this idea, and I think Robert Bly put it perfectly, when, when there was a nutrient, there was a food that was transmitted between father and son while they stood in the field, even if they didn't talk or touch. There was a, mm -hmm. there was a wisdom and a knowledge and a feeding that took place there. And then you take the man out and you put him in a, in a, in a factory for... 50 or 60 hours a week and what do you think you get when he when you come home he's hungry he's impatient and he doesn't have time to love the kids and now we've taken the women out of the out of the home and i don't think we've seen the effect that that might have on our young girls but uh 
Like, no, we have with... seen the effect. Yeah, well, the Internet's raising our children now, which is frightening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I just keep uh, coming back to this idea that fatherlessness and this lack of eldership is, is, is one of our biggest problems now, including, you know, the welfare state in, in the states. Well, I think you, know, you touch on a lot there um, as far as, like, traditions. The one thing, objective truth and the whole idea of, of human purpose and existence is really, really revealed, excuse me, um, through and understood through history, through the meta-narrative of humanity, uh, through traditions, you know, um, and the archetypes. I mean, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about that. You right. Know? You know, just as he talks a lot about, you know, we need to understand meaning and responsibility. That's what it means to be human. I put it more in terms of understanding purpose, design, and understanding how to love in relationship to others. Basically the same thing, meaning, purpose, relationship. Um, all this is tied into a broad understanding and connectivity of objective story in the meta narrative. The problem is, is that postmodernism and technology itself and then coming on the heels of that, uh, nihilistic philosophies from Germany that infiltrated our education system. This nihilism, this postmodernism, and then the very just effects, regular effects of, of technology, uh, has caused a division and rejected and shattered that meta narrative, that cohesiveness of human experience. No longer do we have, we look back. We no longer look back to understand who we are and how to move forward. And in doing that, not no longer looking to our elders, because that's in a way looking back, you know what I mean? Their experience, their wisdom. We don't look back anymore. We just look forward or we, you know, wherever we are, we are. And this has been devastating to society. So, you know, even though I talk in my book about the damage feminism has done I, in the I can't remember which chapter I talked about. It's not just feminism. It's these other things. Postmodernism, technology itself has caused a break breakdown of, of respect and understanding masculinity and how men are to be men. And, you know, Robert Bly did talk about that in the 70s when he wrote his book, Iron John. He talked a lot about the ill effects of technology. Uh, I like to take it a step further and that technology, yes, is a problem, but also the philosophies that have flooded in to our society with the postmodernism, you know, with the Nietzscheanism, you know, <laughs> the nihilism, uh, you know, so it, it's been a loss of respect for masculinity, for men, for leadership, for authority. And that's one thing that's interesting about men. Men have an innate authority. And when you reject that, uh, that history, that archetype, that universal understanding of man's purpose, you reject his authority uh, over the earth and their relationships with women and in their relationship in the home and their relationship with their children. That has pretty much been shattered. I mean, if, anytime I talk about a man's authority, go ahead and talk about that somewhere. You're going to get attacked like you won't believe that a man has authority from his experience and his calling and his tie to pat the past um, to impart that wisdom as a man to others. And he's made that way. He's designed that way. But in our society now that we are whatever we want to be. And now with women and feminism, it's just about a struggle between the patriarchy and the oppressed groups. Men are now not to be respected, but they've become the target. Mm. So 
any kind of appeal to history, appeal to authority, meta narrative, um, tradition is cast aside as some kind of patriarchal paradigm and cage that you want to put everyone else in. Mm. And this has been constructed by feminism and has been pretty much ingrained in our society now. I think there's such, uh, there's a whole lot of space for uh, women like you, Camille Paglia. Uh, wow, like powerful, old school, historically has never come off of, I mean, she, I'm sure she's changed her beliefs here and there, but again, her core values have been so strong for so long. And it seems like it, you know, and Peterson talks about this a lot too, and this idea of the logos, the speaking truth, like for, and I kind of wonder like, what the hell am I doing here? I broadcast from my little, my little office here, you know, I've got less than 200 subscribers on YouTube and, you know, many times I'll, I'll go to do a video. I'm like, yeah, nobody really cares what I think, but this idea that not speaking truth only leads to death and destruction. And and I'm not looking to convince anyone, but it's almost like you you have to get it out. And um, it's so risky these days. I mean, if you're looking for work, you don't want to be putting the things that I'm putting on Twitter and YouTube that are just reasonable things. Like I believe in uh, like man, woman, and child. Like like mm -hmm. single parented homes. Are are not as ideal a place to grow up as dual parent. Well, what do you mean we can't like? And then they get they're not. No, no, they're not. But, but, but you say that, that you get the lefties that come out and go, well, it's like, well, if I'm poor, if I'm pro-choice because of my religion, that means I hate women. What? What? I like. Mm -hmm. I just don't get it. What do you mean? No, it, it means that I love you. women I mean, so yeah. much <laughs> that I want more of them to be born. You dumb. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you're silenced. I mean, because you've been now, you've been deemed the um, privileged group for too long. But and is it, is it worth you it? Need to be silenced. Is it worth is it? it? Like, it? You're, you're out there. Like, you can't put that horse back in the barn now. And I'm not sure, you know, if you're going to be looking for work in it. Well, I'm, uh, uh, we'll talk about what you're going through late, lately if, if you're willing to speak on it. But, like, is, mm -hmm. it, is it worth it coming from somebody that's, that's put it out there and, and felt the effects of it? <laughs> Depends on the day. <laughs> That's how good I'm feeling. Um, and would your I, husband is, answer it, differently? <laughs> it is worth it. Um, big picture. I am struggling because I've my family's been dealing with a lot of health issues, um, and it's hard to put your family through uh, threats in your life, embarrassing headlines that go international about you. you. Uh, you know, constant threats to your life. We've even had to just move recently because of threats wow. to my life and disruption it caused in my, in my neighborhood. Wow. And, you know, yeah, so it, it, it takes its, and then losing jobs, you know, the financial hit of losing jobs because you said something that other people didn't like and that was challenging to a paradigm that no one, you know, that's been accepted. Mm. And, you know, so the cost and the toll is very, very high. And I, I've, I've gotten to the point, I can't get a job now writing at a, at a, at a significant conservative um, outlet. Since, and when, since when? Since I offended a gay man who had, who had let us attack my husband on Twitter. Like recently? Yeah. That happened, that happened in March. Wow. And um, 
yeah, it, it all unfolded. <laughs> I just lost my temper. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, ta- I basically just confronted him, kind of what we've been talking about, about his purpose. And he was he was mocking and making fun of my heterosexual relationship with my husband, basically, basically accusing my husband of of domestic violence because uh, he said uh, he should I shouldn't be interrupted during he didn't want to be interrupted during a basketball game. And <laughs> and I agreed with him saying I shouldn't be violating my husband's space. Basically, my husband and I have an ongoing feminist joke, you know, because he knows he'll like overboard do the the domineering thing, you know. And he was like, "Woman, you know better than to interrupt me during the game." <laughs> and when my husband's loving and kind, and well, I got deluged, like you would not believe on Twitter. It was a Twitter mob of uh, just. My husband was abusive. I actually had people threatening to call social services, saying I was facing domestic abuse. And it was um, maligning my husband, who's not a public figure. And some people said, well, you put it out on Twitter. You should you should take it. No, I disagree with that. I should be able to say things jokingly without being attacked by a mob. Uh, Sarcasm doesn't uh, go over very well on social media, does it? Yeah, but they knew. I mean, it, it had been this had been ginned up all week because I'd had a spat with Megan McCain, and ugh, anyway, it was just it was a, just a big s show, and so um, but this gay journalist was kind of mocking the whole thing and egging on his followers to keep up the idea of oh Denise, you know your husband mm, problem. And I'm like, you know, who are you as a gay man to criticize my heterosexual relationship between a man and a woman? And that escalated until I just basically said, you know, you don't really understand, obviously, from your choices, what the purposes of men and women and masculinity and femininity. Instead, you're trying to find meaning in a gay relationship. I put it more crudely. Isn't it strange Um, that all these social justice warriors and these people fighting for, you know, like we really oppress gay people still in today's society that, you know, if we all were like you, then we would fail to exist within a generation. We'd be done. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, I mean, well, it's just, well, it's not, it's not natural. It's not, it's not by design. And, uh, you know, so because I I made that stance and I made that comment and I have, I apologize to him for saying it crudely because I did, I was angry and, um, but I don't. I didn't apologize for the substance of it, and I apologized to him. He wrote me, and I wrote, and you know, we communicated. But my t- two of my employers at the time immediately fired me. Wow. Ben Shapiro at the Daily Wire and Ben Dominich at the Federalist now, immediately fired me. Ben Shapiro, I don't. I don't even get that. I mean, he's such a yes. traditionist. He's a, he's a, obviously he's a, a heterosexually a Jew, and and what is. Like, I don't get, he doesn't usually align himself with these people. So There's what, a whole bunch of What principle of was violated that, like, I always found Ben to be pretty objective. Conservative media behind the scenes is not what you see in front of the scenes. Hmm. Um, principles often go out the window to save the brand. Hmm. So... Whatever. I don't want to believe. I just don't want to believe that. (laughs) Oh, I have the email. (laughs) That was what he told me. He goes, I can't have you saying that because it will damage my brand. You have to get, you have to go. Wow. No, he actually said that. I mean, that's why he let me go. 
Um, the Federalist was a little more, I think, tied more into my conflicts with Megan because my boss was married to Megan and went to her wedding, as you probably heard. Uh, <laughs> it became a meme. Um, so it was all just a lot of personal stuff on that side. So that was more muddy. Um, the Ben Shapiro was more about him protecting the brand because I had attacked crudely this gay journalist who had been leading a mob to malign my husband. So, and I got so, angry. So the bottom so line, yes, the bottom line is the bottom line? Money? Money. Everything's about money in this business. <laughs> you don't Sorry to sound jaded, but I've worked in it too long and yeah. seen too much. Well, uh, and the, the fact is, I mean, whether I mean, there's no other reason, that was the reason. So anyway, so I got deplatformed, but from my two from two jobs, the main one was the federals because that's where I was paid. Um, and then later, my, my, I was working for three outlets. PJ Media later didn't get on board because they were cowards and didn't fire me along with the other two. Instead, they drew it out for six months and then said, "No, we don't want you." So. And now I can't get from any, I really can't get work from, from wow. significant well-paying places. Coming from so, people uh, that are supposed to be defending an ideology that everything's on the table, we can talk about anything, just not if it's going to affect, like how much money do you need, Ben? Like I'm sure he does pretty well with his $10 a month or whatever he gets. Well, I mean, well, the real sad thing was that the Federalists is that we they had a policy they have a policy at the Federalists that they don't fire people for what happens on Twitter. Well, that sounds reasonable. What about Gavin McInnes? He's uh, creating an Isle of Island of misfit misfit uh, toys. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be the little I'm gonna be the little girl with the like missing eyeball or whatever the braids. Yeah, I'll get over there with Milo. <laughs> I, you know what? I don't. I didn't. I haven't been a Gavin McInnes fan all that long. But he got. He he was the first to get me to subscribe. I've never paid for content before. I think he's absolutely hilarious. His interaction with uh, him and uh, what we call uh, Rogan's Jamie. What's his name? Uh, Ryan Katsu Rivera. Um, and I just find it. You know, his traditionalism. His, um, his, he, he just won't back off of his, uh, of his beliefs. And then he's very okay to go, good point. Yeah, you got me there. Like, that's mm -hmm. so refreshing to hear somebody say, you know what? Yeah, that is kind of hypocritical. Maybe I need to rethink that one, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm having a, I'm having a, I'm really enjoying listening to him and, and I'm a little envious from the standpoint that I wish I had the courage to come out like that because you know some of the things that he's got the balls to say i i, I don't find that i do so it's, uh, well I, I mean i've been i still have the balls to say it i mean i still feel called to do that i just am I, i've kind of taken myself off twitter i'm still there people need to contact me but i'm not going to be engaging okay. and i don't really know where to write so i'm probably just going to focus on books right now and just okay. hopefully my, my dear publisher who I adore won't abandon me um, a lot of people have advised doing podcasts the problem is, is I'm not a very good speaker I'm a writer I mean I, that's what I do I'm a writer I'm not a podcaster um, I, I do interviews and stuff like that but it, people don't realize how hard it is to host a podcast and do monologues mm. it's not an easy job it's not it's a talent and monologues are really di difficult and i find again when i when i go to sit down and hit the record button i'm like come on nobody cares to listen to me even for 20 minutes going off on what i think about this and 
And it's just, it seems so much easier when you have an interesting subject to go back and forth with that, that, you know, eventually your thoughts will come out that way, you know? Yeah. I like the interviewing format. I mean, so, but building that platform and again, but that takes money. It takes time. And, you know, and here I was established as a writer um, and I have bills to pay and I'm not going to get myself. I was doing six years, seven years ago, putting money out in order to make my career. Mm. I, mean, I can't, I can't do that again. I just financially can't do it. I've been through too much medical expenses and stuff to do that kind of thing. So it's basically just going to be writing books and if people want to hear what I have to say, they'll have me on. And, uh, because, and if I can find some place to write, that would be great. Cause again, I'm a writer. I like to research. I like to sit and think, and I like to put it down in paper in a way that people understand. And I'm not rambling as I do when I talk. It's a lot more clear when I'm putting it down on paper. Well, I think you sound great. I think you kind of, you, you worked in, you warmed up as we were going along here and I don't want to keep you too long. So, um, who are you kind of, who do you really respect in the media right now? Like I've said, I, for just pure entertainment value, I, I, I can't get enough of Gavin McInnes. I really can't. And it took me many steps to get to him. Uh, you know, I think for me first, it, well, it started with Peterson and then I think Crowder because he's, I've got this, and, and Peterson is strangely becoming really funny. Like, he really knows how to nail a joke, and there's nothing funny about what he's talking about. It's just his uh, his uh, cadence, and, and he's really got gotten to be a little bit more entertaining than that dry professor-like. And same with uh, uh, Crowder. I mean, as scripted as it seems to be sometimes, he's got a really high production value. And then his Change My Mind uh, segments, you know, they are a little bit, you know, they go over and over and over, but there was a couple of them that really got to me and changed my mind and I'm like hey I can do this and I think Peterson just said in one of his recent lectures and I didn't I didn't know this that when your ideology changes when you when the lenses because your belief system is what you see life through it's the lenses that you see life through when those change what do you think that's easy because I was going around telling everyone like I'm really struggling I don't believe what I used to believe and I was like crushed but I was really like I feel unsettled like what like who am I that I don't believe what I used to believe so fervently and um and so then you know I you know I've grown to appreciate Shapiro and and, uh, Tim Poole I'm not so much on Shapiro these days but Tim Poole is just like wow like the daily the daily commentary I really appreciate and then I you know and then I've led myself over to to McInnes but like who are you entertained by or who you're respecting as far as media goes i heard you mention breitbart i'm not sure you know who who you still hold in high regard if anyone these days in media (laughs) (laughs) um i've worked so yeah unfortunately i know way too much about too many people and (laughs) it's just it's a terrible thing um i i understand why people do what they do and what they're saying um Sometimes it's hard for me to reconcile what I know with what they're doing and why. Uh, so, but I, I think getting out the truth, you know, if, if they're not for against you, you know, go ahead and do it. So I don't, I don't want to demean, I don't want anyone deplatformed. I want them all to be speaking whatever their motivations are, including Ben Shapiro. 
um, you know, get it out there and, you know, the personal stuff will work itself out in time, but, you know, preach it, say, say the, if they're telling the, tr- the truth about what's going on in the culture, what I don't hear a lot though, from anybody except maybe Steve Dace at blaze TV, oh, really? who I do, who I do really respect. Okay. Um, he's one of the few who gets down to the fundamentals of okay. what's wrong with our society. So I hear a lot of political talk and that's one, you know, there's a lot of those out there, just the daily onslaught of politics and they're just batting it down back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, they do that, but it has, a, has its role to play, but I don't see that changing anything. That's just, I think just lobbing the ball back and forth across the tennis court constantly. And um, it's like propaganda that, going back and forth on both sides. Yeah, I mean, these people, that's their jobs. They, they have their, they have what they do, but I'm not going to diminish, you know, or denigrate that. But I just don't see it as effective. I, I, I'm more passionate about getting to the root matters, and, and, and I'm passionate about that. And one of my frustrations is that not only are the platforms not wanting to hear it and people not wanting to hear it and, and silencing you because of the speech, like I talked about, but also the formats themselves are um especially writing formats they're getting shorter and shorter and you i'm sorry you cannot dive down into deep meaningful things right you know in 500 words right so um getting people to read and you know is difficult i do like these long interviews i think they're really good very helpful and excellent i think that that needs to be going on more if the writing's not going to be done there at least needs to be the interviews or do the writing and then you know, like we're doing, talking about the writing and, mm-hmm. you know, explore that. I'm, I get really frustrated in our, in our publishing and in our, in our uh, industry today because I think there's a lot of people with a lot of thought who could say a lot, but they don't have platforms. They don't have big platforms. And so they're not getting published. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this weird thing. You have to build a platform before you can get published. And not everyone can, and yet they have a lot to say. And so, unfortunately, a lot of people with big platforms are publishing crap, and just because they have the platform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why you see celebrity books all the time because they have the platform. And publishing companies are lazy. I don't want to promote. Uh, so anyway, back back to your question though. Steve Dace is great. He he really does see the foundations and the complexity of what's going on in our culture and has the fundamental worldview that sustains mm-hmm. right solutions. Now you started your book with a conversation about uh, Kavanaugh and it, mm-hmm. it had me realize when I went back and thought about, I watched it live, uh, her testimony and then his, I think it was on the same day. And I realized that I believed her. Like, I initially, I was so moved by what she was saying. But and how it, she was saying it. Yes. And, and then, it, uh, you know, I was just sitting here yesterday, and I'm like, hmm. Well, I also kind of believed Mel Gibson in Braveheart. So you're not such an idiot. Because I felt foolish afterwards. Because when I saw Kavanaugh come up, and, and you said this in your book, like, this is how an innocent man defends himself. He gets emotional. He wants to scream from the rooftops. He's almost violently defending himself. And I'm like, you know what? Eventually, it didn't take me too long. Who is more likely to be 
the actor that's been put up to this a, an academic lawyer that's been in school his whole life and on, on a bench trying to you know make fair decisions for society or whoever she was <laughs> i mean it was like lame political theater uh, theater it was an unnecessary waste waste of resources and i don't mean money i mean the human capital Mm-hmm. To go back and forth and back and forth for something that has, it's moving us in the wrong direction, and it's for no purpose that even furthers humanity. I mean, what a waste of time! And now you see it perpetuating and repeating itself all over the place. Now, now it's impeachment, and what's it going to be next? Like, you know, AOC, God bless her, said the other day. You know what? I think it was more theater. I'm over it. This is a we we have some serious issues to come. I'm like, amen, sister. Like, <laughs> yeah, now you're over it. Now that the, but there is a yeah, but there is a purpose behind it. I mean, that's one thing. The thing is, this just isn't happening off the fly. All these things are orchestrated for purpose by powerful entities with a lot of money. Mm. I mean, and that's not conspiratorial. I mean, the media matters it's put out a whole booklet and how to delegitimize Trump and people in the media into silence opposition. In order to tear down the GOP, in order to tear down conservatives, and to put um, left-leaning politicians in power, mm. and I mean, and, it's it's an agenda. And that's another thing that I kind of was oh, my eyes were open to is this indoctrinati- indoctrinization of our learning institutions. I really was not so aware. And you know, we've got CBC here in Canada. Oh my goodness, a, a state-funded uh, public broadcaster, for lack of a better term, that is like. Actually, now I'm looking at them and going, oh, this is Trudeau's personal PR machine. Are you kidding me? It's like it makes mm-hmm. you feel kind of kind of hopeless. And something again, I don't want to keep you too long. I know you're busy. Uh, so a theme that kept recurring for me in your book was equality of outcomes. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're really, really do- uh, a lot of people just don't get how evil that idea is, you know. <laughs> Well, it's very evil. Yeah, it's equality is a great goal. Uh, legal equality, equality before the law, um, mm-hmm. equality of opportunity in terms of not Absolutely. putting obstacles in the way, not equality of op- opportunism being made for you, right. um, but equal outcomes leveling and is is dehumanizing because it what it removes the differences among people. Mm-hmm. We're all very different. And this is why this the Equality Pay Act, um, Equality Act for that the feminists are promoting here in, in America, is a sham. It's all about mm-hmm. equality of outcomes. Right. And when that happens, you are going to be taking away and violating the rights of other people, men, in order to secure outcomes for another group, women. And it's a violation of the very rights that we say that we stand for. It's evil. Mm. Amen. What do you think the best privilege is to suffer from? I know privilege is a really dirty word these days, but is it, I don't know. I think intelligence has got to be up there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Easy to look at probably isn't that. I was going to say beauty is is a huge, (laughs) I would say, I would put the, the advantages of beauty in our very shallow society um, probably skyrockets over intelligence these days. Wow, really? I mean, look, look at celebrity worship mm-hmm. itself. I mean, um, it's just really annoying. And I'll say it as a woman, women get 
away with all kinds of stupidity and garbage if they're attractive mm. and uh, to a point. But, uh, you know, they do. And I people think you're, you're brilliant. Uh, some women, they're, you know, they're very sexual and suddenly they, they become brilliant anytime they say anything cogent. And I'm like, no, she's not brilliant. <laughs> She's just smart with some really nice boobs. And and keep now looking at them. Now, now she's got a platform <laughs> to speak to millions. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, it, it's it's an advantage like anything else. You know, I mean, men have their strengths, you know, uh, and privileges as well above other men. But I would say our culture is definitely, definitely, we never talk about beauty privilege. But I, I'd say that that's probably the biggest one. And I wouldn't even say just beauty. I'd say sex, sexy, sex, sex. Sexual hotness, <laughs> sexual beauty, hot, yeah. hot, <laughs> sexy privilege. Um, because the more you know, sexual you are, the more you're enticing, and the more you can get away with. And it's just true. Denise McAllister is my <laughs> guest. What men want to say to women but can't is out February 11th, 2020. You can get it on Amazon on pre-order. Is that it? Yes. Hard yes. covers. Out Thank you. Next year, absolutely. Um, just on the way out, a fun question, maybe. Why are women so nasty to each other? What's your take on that? You touched on it in the book. And oh, I've touched all... on it. I had an entire chapter, remember? Yeah. <laughs> it's like I had to have a whole chapter called <laughs> Women Are Bitchy. Yes. You know, it's I was just saying thing. to my stepmother the other day, I was like, I think I'm like my father. I, we can have a fight in the car on the way up north or whatever, and once we get it out, it's over. It's done. I'm over it. We're over it. We go have a hamburger. We have a beer together. We're done. We don't stretch it out for two decades. <laughs> well, women, their sense of value is internal, and it's about who they are, and it's about their physical attributes, their their personality. It's, it's a very internal being kind of thing. Men choose women not by what they do for them, but by who women are, how they look, you know, um, how they act, that kind of thing. Women tend to choose men more about what they can perform and what they provide. Not, not that looks don't matter, and these are not just hardcore black and white things, but um, it's part of the, the female psyche that, you know, competition with other women is not just about what we do. It's about our very being is on the line. And like survival type of thing? Not a survival. It's about value and worth. Again, uh -huh. this is where if you understand our purpose in life is relational fundamentally mm -hmm. and our sexuality, our humanity, everything's tied into relationship. Even if you're not married, a woman's designed to attract a mate by who she is, not by what she does. It's her essence of her being. And, um, and so an internal instinctive competitiveness to get the man is be the most beautiful, to be the most alluring, to be the, the kindness, kindness, you know, the gentleness, whatever, to be the most womanly, the most fertile. You know? And in the process, tear down the competition? Well, it, yeah, you know, or just be the best. You know, mm -hmm. This is why women are constantly sizing up other women looks-wise, you know, when they enter a room. It's why we criticize women by their looks more than we do men. It's just everything's about the looks of women. It's because that's where she, that's the core crux of her able to secure the relationship with the opposite sex. So, again, even though I'm in the workplace and I'm obviously not competing for a husband, I'm already, I'm already married, you know, I'm not wanting to date everyone in the office – there's a core tie that's fundamental in our brains that competition is for a woman is tied to our very being. It's very hard to break that. Um, 
So when you enter a competition, especially if it has any kind of subjective aspects to it that are personal, it's not like cut and dry win or lose. The more cut and dry the competition is, the easier it is for a woman to detach the emotional aspect. But even then, she's still, even then, she's more connected to it personally to it than a man is. Men can compete. It's about doing, win or lose. Only really wimpy, wussy men get all emotional about it, and we know who they are, and it's disgusting. Um, but real men compete, shake hands afterwards. I got beat, whatever, go out mm-hmm. and have a drink. Mm-hmm. It's because they compete externally. It's about what they do and not about their very being. But a woman, the competition is so tied. And that's not to make women bad. They, they can't help it. It's just how they are as women. So it makes them very nasty with each other because you can't really, you just are who you are. And, you know, when you lose at something, it suddenly becomes personal. I'm devalued. She beat me. They're nasty, you know, and, it's just, and they, you compete with each other. And women always revert to competing on a personal level, even if they're doing an objective thing. They try to be prettier. They try to schmooze. They try to use their sexual allure. They re- resort to a personal being aspect of, of the competition. Mm. And it, it's very cutting to lose to another woman or, you know, women lose to men easier than they do to women. You've probably noticed that. um, It's, they still don't like it. They still will take it personally, but, um, but it's easier. But to uh, women competing, women working in the, in the workplace, which is automatically competitive, which is what feminism created for us, right? This competitive workplace, um, sending us in to, to act like men when we don't act like men. So you have a whole bunch of women in the workforce who act like women, but think they're acting like men and they're a nightmare. I don't know why it's so hard to uh, acknowledge that we're not equal. Yes. We we're need not the to same. Be, we, need to see, we need to be treated equal in the eyes of the law. Yes. Opportunity, all that kind of stuff, but we're not equal. We're better at different things and that's okay. I mean, even mm-hmm. between races, there's some, significant differences no one Mm -hmm. wants to talk about cultures you know how yeah cultures uh it's uh you know race versus intelligence no one wants to have that conversation Mm i mean i think and uh yeah it's just that the stifling of it is uh it's it's concerning so anyways denise thank you very much for your generosity and your time the book's called what men want to say about women but can't say to two women oh say two what did i say about women (laughs) i'm sure you say say a lot about women (laughs) (laughs) what men want to say to women but can't is a wake-up call for women to understand and appreciate the men in their lives value masculinity instead of degrading it and heal relationships damaged by toxic feminism man we've heard a lot about toxic masculinity i uh am a chic user now and i (laughs) i was never i never had a closer shave than the day i saw procter and gamble's shot uh stocks come out or gelat or whatever this nosedive i guess i'm not the only guy that was pissed off that that uh that commercial and they did you know, i heard in the book I, I heard you clearly state oh the you know it shifted gears pretty quickly there but that was just you know and and the naysayers man i got more reaction on that because i had an f gillette uh response was oh yeah you're weak and threatened 
by a commercial that your manhood said no uh, no i'm not masculinity is under attack and it's not healthy it, it, like uh, more healthy masculinity please like why can't we just get that i don't know but well and stop trying to turn men into women i'm really tired of this you know masculinity needs to be redefined and reconstructed into a more feminine frame no. i discuss that a lot in my book mm-hmm. um because that's that's definitely the goal of our of our intelligentsia in our society today and uh, is to feminize masculinity. It's disgusting. It's gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just stop. <laughs> let, let men be men. I don't want men acting like women. That doesn't mean men are all apes dragging their knuckles across the floor and being mean to everyone. But no, real masculinity, a true masculine man is a gallant man. He's a man of self-control, He's but he's a strong man. He teaches us sons how to be strong and that might involve wrestling and doing hard things and mm. um so quit i'm tired of the the pussification of men today <laughs> well put that's a great place to leave it just on the way out uh denise uh contact information for people how they can get a hold of you how we can get the book how we can support you you can dm me on twitter at um, McAllister den with two l's that's at McAllister den on twitter and if you need to get in touch with me you can t- get in touch with me there Awesome. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, maybe we'll touch you up in the near future after the book comes out or after you get yourself in more trouble. I don't know which one will come first. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure when the book comes out, there will be trouble. So we can we can talk about it then. Awesome. Really appreciate it, Denise. Thanks for the time. And uh, we'll talk soon. Hey, I just want to say before I cut you loose, I love you. You're, uh, oh, thank you. Like, that's, it, I don't know how you support each other for, in virtually. But uh, I appreciate what you're doing, the risk uh, that you put your family, I mean, you're not putting your family in any, uh, you know, unnecessary risk for no reason. But I mean, this is is expensive, uh, speaking Mm -hmm. truth and uh, holding to your values, whatever it is, whether it's based in Christianity or just speaking up. um, I don't know quite how difficult it is. I've had a little bit of a taste of it. And to be honest with you, I don't like it. No, it's awful. It's awful. Like I said, I'm taking a little bit of a break myself, <laughs> mainly just focusing on writing my books, and because it's just it's not worth so fighting the establishment, the gatekeepers, and the media is my biggest frustration. Uh, I can handle when you have a support group within the media. I really can take the the barbs and the the fighting. It's fine. It's hard when you're turned on by your own side. That's what my frustration is right now. My frustration isn't with the fight that's out there with these issues. Um, mine's more the betrayal and the lack of support from my own side. Mm. Well, and hope. when you're standing there on the front lines and you're getting shot from behind, I mean, what, what do you, where's, where can you go? Well, I hope to see you on uh, with Gavin McKenna soon with... Uh... Uh, maybe sitting next to Milo or whoever. I don't <laughs> oh, know. I adore Milo's great. <laughs> Isn't he's, he's he a, unbelievable? Yeah, he's, he's a little he's over a, the he's top. He's a good support to me. He's, he's a, a little bit full on, a little bit much oh, all the is. time. But uh, you know, he, I mean, we're grown ups. It doesn't take much to see the good in people. And I don't care if I believe everything he believes or whatever. But his heart's in a good place. He's hilarious, and you know, I mean, there's probably no one on earth that knows as much you know what speaking truth might lead to but uh he's taken it all in stride i think he's hilarious and uh, i got a lot of time for anybody that puts themselves out there including you so yeah. i hope that uh well, thank you there's some uh, yeah. uh, bridges that are mended or you need to get whatever you need to get from whoever you need to get it from to see that you're 
employable at least as a contractor for crying out loud what you can't write independently <laughs> quillette might be interested i mean you're a great writer and i think you're articulate and intelligent and hey that goes a long way and we need more women people period like you so well done well thank you thank you you have a great day all Thanks. right we'll talk soon thanks okay bye bye Okay, so if you need her, that's how you get her. Denise McAllister. The book is called um, What Men Want to Say to Women But Can't. Uh, you can pre-order it. It's out February 11th, 2020. But you can pre-order it now on Amazon. And I've already read it because I'm that important. <laughs> I appreciate the time, Denise. And... Uh, if you uh, want to get a hold of her, that's how you do it. All right, peace out, y'all.